Hello and welcome to the latest edition of No Limit with Christoph and Luke, a Seven Investing production. This episode 14 today is the 29th of March. Christoph, as ever, it's a delight to see you. How's it going? Good morning to you, Luke. I heard it's the end of your ski season. <laughs> yes, my last 24 hours. We got 11 inches of new snow last night, and so I'm, going, I'm looking forward to like an eager beaver getting up there and uh, tearing it up for the very last day before I head to San Francisco. Oh, that's astounding. Skiing is 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 hard, like in the sense that, you know, you're cold and you're on the lifts, right? It takes a lot out of you, right? Do you get kind of uh, acclimated? Do you get do you get kind of used to the season as the season goes on? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you develop like a bunch of muscles that you like wither during the non-ski months. Uh, like just being at altitude, like I was exhausted for the whole first couple of weeks until... The body goes, oh, heck, I need to, like a bunch of extra red blood cells. And then you can start being cool. like fit again. So, yeah, you definitely do. But then you also accumulate injuries. Uh, like I've wiped myself out in two pretty big accidents, both of which took me out Ooh. for a week each. So, yeah, oh. it's all part and parcel. All good fun. Yeah, live and learn, right? <laughs> yeah. You are so, yeah, you are so British. Live stiff, and learn. <laughs> stiff up a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about yourself? I didn't right. ask you on the show, but uh, you had that uh, accident a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago now. You made a full recovery from that. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was peanuts. And you're still, uh, oh. you're still beating up the big guys in jujitsu? I am most certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, the better you get, the the better your opponents get. And uh, I'm not in the phase where I was going every day. You know, it's one of those things. If you go every day, you start thinking about it and breathing and living it. Right. Um, I'm kind of down to three days a week, which is enough to kind of... <laughs> I'm kind of treading water. Yeah. <laughs> you could, uh, you're you ready know, to I, defend your family's honor if it comes to it, though. I can't, if, if, if it came down to that, I think I could defend my, my family's honor. And yours, too. If anyone ever messes with you, look, even looks at you the wrong way, I got you. <laughs> I've got enemies. Watch out. I've got enemies. <laughs> hey, I tell you what. One of my potential enemies is Elon Musk. I'm, I am not a Twitter Blue subscriber. And uh, he's about to make a bunch of policy changes, which means I kind of have to pay me $7 a month. I notice you've done that already. What's your experience of suddenly getting the blue tick? I trust Elon. And it's interesting, even though my politics and his don't often align, I, I, I've been following his story now for so long. I was pretty deep into trying to understand who this human is. So I'm sure I have a bias and blinder, but... I often end up thinking like this guy knows a lot more than I do in terms of engineering and how to build a product and my own two pennies on the issues probably just pretty far inferior and ignorant compared to what he's offering. So the way I think about it is I have learned to use Twitter, I think in a very powerful and effective way. Put it this way, I've met a lot of people and followed a lot of rabbit holes that were generally educational and had value in terms of networking and, and connections that taught me an immense amount that I otherwise would not have. And so for me, paying $7 a month for at this point, the value that I'm getting, I would pay a lot more, put it that way. Has your experience improved materially as a result of paying your seven bucks or you just feel a bit more kind of morally balanced? You're paying for the value you get. I don't know is the thing. I don't, it's, it's hard to say for me, honestly, 
because I, I guess I have a pretty clear window on how I use it and why I use it. So it certainly hasn't gotten worse. The bots seem to be less effective. There's that, but I didn't really have a huge issue with them beforehand. So I'm still continuing to use it as I did. And uh, hard pressed to say there's been much difference one way or another for me. Okay. You've maybe got some Twitter jujitsu. I'll, uh, I'll have to go work on that. I think I'm going to have to pay my seven bucks anyway. Otherwise, it's going to break for me in mid-April. So look out for the blue tick. Yeah, I think that that ethical piece is is not a small thing. When I know I'm using this thing so much and I'm getting so much value, $7 to help the, the ecosystem go is, I think, completely justified. Very wholesome. Okay. And if you're not following Christoph on Twitter and you're listening... By the way, there's definitely more of you listening than are following us. Go check him out. He's at seven flying platypus, and I'm at seven Luke Hallard. Hey, uh, getting off that bit of self promotion though, I do see Elon allegedly um, signed up to something else along with a bunch of other folk, possibly even like overnight. I woke up at four a.m. I got woken up by raccoons on my patio, and uh, ended up down like a Twitter rabbit hole, and I, I ran into an open letter. Did you see this from the Future of Life Institute? No, I did not. Yeah, interesting. I, I'm not sure if I agree with what it's suggesting, but it's a very interesting point. To give you the exact summary, essentially this foundation uh, have proposed that the world pause giant AI experiments. They've put out an open letter to, uh, especially to kind of big AI founders, people like Musk, Sam Altman, I guess, mm -hmm. Folk like that, they've got over a thousand signatures. And what they're suggesting is that we should take a deliberate stop, take a breath, rather than charging kind of headlong into the singularity, you know, possibly the end of humanity, as I was kind of getting a bit wistful about a few weeks ago, and um, stop developing models that are stronger than GPT-4, which is incredible. Like I'm paying 20 bucks a month for GPT-4 myself now. I get so much value out of it. And they're saying we should actually... Rather than continuing to develop deeper and deeper models, which might have emergent capabilities that we don't really understand, let's take a breath and try and make sure these things we're developing are kind to humanity. Basically, we can make sure they're safe, they're giving good information, um, but essentially trying to rein them in before they get a little bit too far ahead of us. What do you think about that? So, yes, I did see this, Luke. It's so fascinating because this is a topic that I'm about to start teaching in my consciousness of animals class. And the last, the last portion of the course will be dedicated to this question of what are humans in the age of AI? What are we becoming? Including there's a new movement out there that is, is putting forth a provocative case that it would be better for the earth to have humans destroyed, you know, to make us go away. Because if you think ecologically, George Collins said this a while back, you know, we're like a bad case of fleas for planet Earth and the planet will be fine, but we're killing all these other species and so forth that if you're serious about ecological health, then you got to consider humanity as a problem. And maybe AI is one way that Earth will solve this problem. We'll kind of do it to ourselves. I think, Luke, that there is much wisdom in what's being asked in this open letter. We're being counseled to have a little patience, right? A little forbearance, that might be the better word, because uh, this tool, it feels to me 
more powerful, right, than our capacity to handle it. That's the basic, right? I also think that humanity does not have within itself the capacity to slow down. We're too impulsive as a whole. And the self-interested parties, the ones that do not think in a networked way, ecologically, somebody out there will continue developing this. That, that's my concern, right? The signatories to the open letter, these will be the sort of ethically minded organizations that kind of buy that idea. But there's still going to be a ton of companies and probably a ton of government backed actors who are going to charge on regardless. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of the gun debate in the United States. It seems, it seems to me wise to have serious control over automatic weapons, for example. The counter argument that you hear is that, but then the bad guys are the ones left with them, and then you're defenseless. And I think in the, in the I don't, without gets messy and complicated fast, I, I get that. But the cynical or skeptical part of me understands that if you take the moral wise path, you will still leave yourself vulnerable to the bad actors. And that could in fact be true. It seems like the missing piece in all of this for me is this idea that we can't, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? That in the end, you people have to sacrifice something to get something. And we're not so good at the sacrificing part, right? We want to feel safe. We, we, we want to do the right thing. We want to take our time with AI. But to do that, we'd have, we'd have to sacrifice, let's say, profits and whatever. And so we want to, we want both. And then in the end, I, it saddens me to say this. I'm skeptical of our ability to hit pause, even though it's the obviously wise thing to do. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And there's an interesting idea I hadn't thought of. Uh, did you listen to the Sam Altman, um, co-founder of OpenAI interview with Lex Friedman this week? It's in my, it's in my queue. Really good. Um, so an idea he put forward was that um it's probably positive in the far future that there are many ais developed by different labs and if we do get these kind of emergent capabilities essentially you'll have you know lots of different ais with perhaps different motivations and then in some ways they'll become self-regulating with each other sounds like such a bizarre thing to say but you know almost kind of mm -hmm. we are kind of creating these gods effectively Let's just create a whole bunch of them and hopefully they'll regulate each other because we won't be able to. Yeah. One thing I, I would like to bring up for our listeners is that the, my, my understanding of the AI landscape is still that the current AI, the chat GPT version of it is nothing close to uh, general AI, which is the, the kind that we're really worried about, the kind that could teach itself and basically think for itself without parameters. And the, the people have, that have been working in this field now for decades continue to say that as fast as the bounded AI is learning, that that is still nowhere near the, the, the call it the, the scary one. And that the gap there is still uh, huge. And I do remember actually seeing a Twitter poll about this question and uh, like how many years do you think it will take for the gap to be closed? And if memory serves right, m 
Elon piped in and said he thinks it's 10 years or less. I think which is op- which is opposite to what the experts yeah. are saying. Well, yeah. other experts beyond him. Well, this is, I suppose that's in the spirit of this Paul's AI paper, right? It might be closer than we think. So that that would suggest that we should suddenly start to behave fairly cautiously if we're in this field. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to develop in a way that's bad for humanity, um, we're probably not going to know about it until it's too late. Yeah, uh, it does not give me the warm fuzzies to tell to tell you the truth. I mean, we already know, right, that a human, uh, we run on primitive software because we've been evolving for 300,000 years, you know, in, in hunting, gathering kinds of groups. And all of a sudden, the technological industrial revolution is only, what, 200 years ago? Right. So, like, basically, not even a blink of an eye. And we can't handle what we already have, right? We've, for computers and the internet, it's already (laughs) too much for us. Social media, that's a great example, right? That's a perfect example. That's what, 20 years old? And now from the front lines at a university, my students are telling me they are depressed, anxious, addicted. Uh, They walk into the classroom, you know, eyes on the glue, like all of them, every single one. And when I tell them, put your phones away at the door, when you walk into this room, it's a challenge, right? But they self-diagnose that way. So point being, already we have too much power and not enough capacity to deal with it. So now that the robots are here, like, my goodness. I, I totally agree with all of that. But at the same time, if we do put pause on AI, like these capabilities are so exciting. And seeing the step up from GPT 3.5 to 4, like I'm using them both, it's incredible. And seeing what developers have where they can, they have even more capabilities than I do, even as a paying user, like, hey, I really want to get this stuff and I want to see what GPT-5 and 6 look like and how they can make my life, you know, immeasurably better in ways I can't imagine. Um, but at the same time, I don't want them to murder me. So let's see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The old. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to ask you. Uh, it, I just haven't had the time and bandwidth really to go through all the tutorials and so forth. But I also paid for the subscription to version four. Can you give me an example of what a big difference you notice between the two models are? Um, a lot more depth and sophistication in the results I'm getting. Like I said, a couple of times I've put the same question into both and I've just got a more nuanced answer from chat mm, GPT-4. Okay. Um, I think 3 or 3.5 is kind of optimized for speed. Um, so 4 is definitely slow. It's kind of ponderous watching the words trickle out, but you're getting a better quality uh, conclusion. Okay. I signed up for the uh, development uh, when you connect the the... AI to the internet, right? Okay. Oh, right. Cool. I haven't haven't played with that. Right. But I believe I was put on the wait list and I'm still on it. So I haven't experienced that because that's a big, that I think will be the mind blowing one. Yeah. Yeah. When we're not limited to, I believe, September 20 of 21, which is two years ago. That's it. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. I'm in the process of updating the picture for seven investing because I'm the only one not wearing a jacket and tie. So I look, so I look like a, you know, a, a hooligan, a, a hooligan from off the streets. But I was trying to upload a photo of myself and have AI add a jacket and tie, and it kind of it's it's it still looks AI-ish. So I don't think it would work. Although that that might actually be pretty cool. So I don't know if you've used 
the robot in this way where you actually upload text and i mean uh, pictures or other stuff yeah you should check out uh i'm using mid journey but i think you have mm-hmm. to pay to use mid journey version 5 but apparently that is like it's producing incredible results of real people so yeah that's probably the way to go if you want to do like a real flying platypus in a suit See, there's no way to get you in an actual suit. Right, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. I did type in my name and I say, and I did write, uh, you know, my name plus suit and tie. And I got back pictures of very Polish looking like people yeah. that were not me. <laughs> I was like, oh man. <laughs> cool. Hey, so, um, so I wouldn't check in with you because I'm heading home soon. And Katrina tells me I have a box of magic mind waiting for me when i get there so we're talking about like super intelligent ais are you still taking this stuff are you are you feeling super intelligent yourself not this morning uh <laughs> i feel is that why you're, is that why you're like, so sleepy looking <laughs> yeah i i don't know what's off something's off with me this morning luke but i love this stuff i generally generally love this stuff here's how it fits in my day i only eat dinner at 6 p.m So I've taken to doing a workout in the morning. First thing, I drink a glass of Athletic Greens to get my vitamins. And then I have a coffee from about 9 till 11. Coffee gets me through to about 1. And then around 1 p.m., I take my magic mind. That gets me to dinner. Basically, that feeling, the feeling of the, the magic mind juice creates this sensation for me, that's a little bit like coffee, but unlike coffee, the something happens where I think I deepen in creativity. I don't quite understand it, but it, like coffee gets me energized, but this stuff makes me more excited about new ideas than I feel when I'm not when I'm not drinking it. So it kind of plays two roles for me the get me through to dinner get me through the fast energetically and creatively i get a lift and also this is pretty important i don't feel many of the negative side effects of um, stimulants or nootropics or shakiness or weird stuff i just kind of feel pretty like i'm riding a good wave cool all right. Sounds like a strong endorsement. I'm looking forward to checking it out when I get back to London next week. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you think and what kind of smart things you'll have to say. Awesome. So if you're taking Magic Mind yourself, let us know on the Twitters what you think, what your own results have been. So Christoph, you've been uh, reading as ever, I gather. What's your latest book? The latest book is called The Grid, The Fraying Wires Between Americans and Our Energy Future. Yeah, Interesting. It was Bill Gates's uh, one of his five favorite books in 2016. So it's a little dated, I guess seven seven years now. But two things, I I think is extraordinarily well written. The author Gretchen Backe B A K K E is an anthro uh, cultural anthropologist, which is the same thing that my wife is. Curiously mm-hmm. enough. But I never, uh, it, 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 it's just the highest level of writing that, that I think you could come across. It's so engaging, so thoughtful, and I'm a sucker for good prose. So some people might think, oh yeah, reading about the electrical grid, that's going to suck. Um, I had the exact opposite experience, just on the, that literary level. The other thing is, 
it is kind of astonishing to me that something like electricity, which is now such a fundamental part of our life, including here in Texas, I've lost it recently twice in two years for an extended period of time during a very cold freeze. And you get reminded very quickly just how miserable life gets. Not that we can't make a fire anymore, you know, and like survive, but when so much of our modern day life revolves around devices yeah. and you can't, mm -hmm. for example, go to work and do work without the internet or your computer, it's shocking. It's truly shocking what a dominant force electricity has become. So what's even more shocking to me was how, and she talks about this a little bit, how when we walk around day to day, at least maybe I'll speak for myself, you don't notice. You kind of block out things like utility poles and wires and, and even how any of it works, right? I was so stupidly ignorant about the grid that... It, I kind of became uh, temporarily embarrassed for myself. <laughs> like, how could... I, you know, when I put the two things together, the force of electricity, how essential it is, and how I knew nothing about it, I was like, how could this be? So, so okay, I think I understand this stuff. What's a surprising fact, then, that I might not be aware of? Oh, my goodness. Maybe this is an in interesting thing, that um, renewable energy... So there's the old grid and all the new new renewables co coming online. And I thought something like renewable energy is just a good thing any way you slice it. But it turns out that utilities have a business to run and things like renewable energies sometimes add a whole nother layer of complexity to how the old school operations. So for example, when you have surges of energy coming online, from say too much sun or too much wind, that could actually overpower the grid. So all of a sudden, the way we are evolving, the way our grid is evolving, it's not just good and bad, old and new, or we want more new, more renewable. It's a way more complex algorithm that's evolving. So that's one thing to, to consider. And this actually segues to why, for the most part, I, I started looking into this. You will now see me focusing a lot more on batteries as as investment opportunities. With with this understanding, now the deeper understanding that I now have of the, the grid, you also learn that one of the key components and technological maybe barrier to an effective grid is storing of electricity, and that it was the technological. Uh, we still weren't there yet, so to speak to to solve that problem but we're we are now and so the opportunity from an investment standpoint in investing in call it battery storage or figuring out ways to uh, harness the surpluses of electricity that we make is such an, a crucial problem to solve and the effect of that problem uh, the the consequences of of solving that problem or not are immense absolutely immense and you'll see this for example in the supply and demand uh currently for example the tesla has with its mega packs they they i believe if memory serves right the orders at the moment uh won't be fulfilled until 2025 at going at max capacity 
So there's such a backlog that even Tesla, monolith like Tesla, won't get to, let alone all the low players in the field. Is that because their manufacturing capability is constrained because they have to keep, like build these giver factories? Or is it also supply of raw materials like lithium and things like that? It's a... Uh... It's, a, I believe, a combination that for the most part, especially COVID, there were supply chain issues, right? right? Uh, that most of the material had to go to the cars. But now Tesla is building a, its own independent mega pack factory in Lothrop, California. So they are scaling as quickly as they can. But regardless, it's still anytime you have a situation where the demand is so much greater than the supply, you know, that's a business opportunity. I mean, in the basic econ 101 way, right? Now I understand that it's not just Tesla that's the gorilla in this space that's going to have massive margin increases and massive revenue and, I mean, all kinds of good stuff that's uh, going to hit its uh, balance sheet, but that there's all these other players in this world that could that have similar supply and demand issues in their favor that are working in little niches of the grid because the, this grid thing is, I love this idea, the biggest machine that we have and it's antiquated and it's patched up and it has all these problems and now you have entrepreneurs really trying to take advantage of this battery landscape now that the technology is finally good enough to put out in the world. So I haven't been this excited in, about a new industry for me as an investor in a long time. And without saying any names, maybe, so apart from Tesla, are there other companies in this space that you're, you're looking at closely? Yes, there are two more right now that I'm taking a very, very hard look at. And you'll hear, you'll definitely hear about them from me in the, in the next two months. My next recommendation, I guess at this point, uh, this episode will release in April, right? So yep. Subscribers will know what my recommendation is for April, and it is a, a small battery company that most people have never heard of with a extraordinarily unique catalyst and setup that if it hits, it's going to hit big. Very good. Well, nice to have uh, uh, like you developing your expertise in this area. I always feel a bit weird as a seven investing advisor because I'm I'm a bit like a platypus too, and I'm all over the board. I don't think I'm an expert in anything. I'm kind of more of a jack of all trades. And if I'm developing expertise in anything, it's probably fintech. But, oh, geez, that's boring. Like, mm -hmm. I'd rather find something mm -hmm. a bit more interesting to become an expert in. <laughs> this will tie together the things we've talked about this morning, Luke. Here's how I do things. I My generalist sensibility gets me looking in a particular corner, Right. Then I get interested, I read the, the top level stuff, like for example, batteries, like YouTube, how do batteries work, right? Just edu basic education, right? Then I find a book that I think is the most recommended or gives me the, the next layer of depth. Meanwhile, while I'm doing this, I'm on Twitter and actually I begin following experts. And I don't therefore have to be the expert because I, I simply know who to look for. And then we have our chat GPT buddy, right? So now I know the questions to ask. For example, because I'm not an expert in batteries, what's the difference between say lithium ion and zinc battery? That's an important question for me. So 
type it up and chat, chat GPT four gives me the the expert's view on all of that. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe that's it's still not there. But that's the you know the the point is like spread the resources around and if you know what to ask. I don't know if expertise is required, is what I'm saying. Well, it's like having like this world of experts, like real human experts on Twitter that are, that are accessible because of the nature of Twitter and the world's most kind of erudite librarian, I guess, with GPT-4. Um, so, yeah, you can develop your own expertise super fast. It's actually quite, it's quite interesting how it's playing into a topic I would like to talk about today as well um, around what's happening with the homeschooling boom. Should we dive into that? Yeah. Um, I, I saw quite an interesting Twitter thread by George Mack. And uh, hmm. he just had a few days ago a bunch of interesting stats, what's being ignored by the media but will be studied by historians. Um, and I've just picked three uh, three of these stats out of his thread. I uh, wouldn't mind chatting through with you. And um, one ties into what we were just chatting about. And it's what George frames as the homeschooling boom. So evidently, I haven't fact-checked any of this stuff, but the, the sources look good. Evidently, in the early 1970s, uh, less than 80,000 kids were homeschooled in America. At the end of 2021, 5 million kids were being homeschooled. And George's insight there was that was probably pandemic-driven. Like, in, in many cases, kids couldn't go to school, so kind of parents got forced into becoming a teacher as well as trying to hold down their own jobs. Um but many parents have realized actually they can do a pretty good job of this. There's an in interesting sort of investing question, you know, which companies are enablers and kind of helping this homeschooling boom. Um, is it a good thing? I think it probably is. Um, uh, but tools like GPT are really going to, you know, potentially become like the ultimate tutor, helping, helping kids learn and understand and explore ideas in more interesting ways. Are you, uh, are you asking for my, my take? Yeah, for sure. As a, especially as someone who works in the education sector. This cuts both ways. And I think, I think there's a lot of advantage to doing it yourself, especially if you do it, you know, not as a shortcut. If, you, mm -hmm. if you're a parent, who cares? Or you're a young person, who cares? And you really want to learn. A lot of school time, I would say, is, is a waste, like inefficient. Sort of like, you know, it's my feeling about most meetings, you know, people just like hearing themselves talk and then it, it just, right? So you're not learning nearly as quickly or as much as you could. But the other side feels to me that that an embodied emotional and social intelligence is also necessary to, to have the full experience of what it means to be a thinking and effective human. And we know this, you know, from say negotiators and how people do in business, you know, business deals, it matters, right? Luke, you know this in, in from your own career, right? Like it matters how you show up to things. It matters to what extent you could empathize with another human, understand what they're saying, meet them on their, their wavelength emotionally, socially, and somehow we'll need to figure out how you could get that piece of of the human experience merged with say the intellectual content loading stuff yeah yeah no doubt Ag agree and that that was a sort of challenge for, even for grown-ups right coming out of the pandemic we all to some extent forgot how to socialize with each other so we've had to relearn that yeah and it's not a small thing it's yeah. Uh, yeah. so i it, 
Yeah. I, I don't know if, if I had a child, I don't know if, if I, I probably would consider homeschooling seriously. Cool. Plus maybe yeah. something like an athletic club, right? To, yeah. to match the other end, right? Yeah, that's a good shout. Let's, uh, let's dive into another one of George's uh, stats and insights, and it sort of links to the last one. So uh, a rise in homeschooling means kids will start building businesses earlier. Um, the ability to do this with just a smartphone and internet connection. So, And his stat is the highest paid YouTubers. So evidently... Today, the highest paid YouTuber is an 11-year-old kid called Ryan Kaji, uh, who reviews toys on YouTube. And in 2020, he made $26 million, uh, and he was nine years old at the time. So that's pretty cool. Like, they're <laughs> suddenly, uh, like, the parents are farming their kid out to earn a ton of money, and he's probably having fun doing it at the same time. Um, but it is interesting, and again, like an investing angle on this, Right, tools like Shopify, Stripe, um, you know, these kind of fintechs, so easy to start a business today. And YouTube and these distribution platforms, uh, but it's, it's kind of democratized, made it really easy to get started and potentially be successful in business. I think this is a, you know, it's an inflection point we're all aware of, but suddenly seeing nine-year-olds making millions and millions of dollars probably makes it a bit stark, brings it home. You know, I, I want to examine an assumption in there because as soon as you said he's probably having a good time doing this. Okay. Uh, well, well, I haven't seen any of these videos, right? But I, I think I, I do know that in order to eventually be a, a genuine YouTuber with, with any kind of revenue, there's a lot of call it production. Uh, uh, you can't just wing it, right? We could, we could assume that. Maybe maybe start off winging it, but as, yeah, okay. If you're in that kind of dough, then yeah, you probably have a bit of a team behind you eventually. Because as soon as you say he's probably having a good time doing it, you know who I thought of? A four-year-old Andre Agassi. Okay. Uh, or Serena Williams. You know, the tennis players who had the kind of maniacal parents right. that put a racket in their hand at age four or three and said, you go stand on this tennis court and you hit balls. And, you know, from Agassi's uh, mature adult perspective, that was, that was borderline cruelty or not, not even borderline, right? That was abuse. And so I, I, I wonder, I wonder, you know, if you're a nine-year-old kid and you're making $26 million on YouTube, how much fun? <laughs> like, to, I mean, unless these videos, I mean, if I watch one of these videos and he's kind of playing around with his toys uh, in a sandbox <laughs> and someone just happens to be filming him doing that, yeah. okay, you got me. I doubt that's the case. Yeah, fair. Okay, good challenge. Maybe, maybe putting aside that particular case study, um, I think there is definitely something about the ease of getting, starting and getting into business. You'll probably see the first self-made teenage billionaire sometime this decade um, because of technology as an enabler. There must be some wizard eight-year-old right now right, doing right. things with ChatGPT that we can't even begin to imagine. But speaking of, uh, Luke, I just had the best idea of my life. <laughs> so I'm ex <laughs> and I'm not and I'm not even on on Magic Mind, and it didn't even come from the robot. But I came across someone on Twitter who did the meta thing and said, uh, 
uh, he turned ChatGPT4 into his mm-hmm. own personal business AI hustler, right? And said yeah, something yeah. like, That's you are cool. an AI entrepreneur, right? I'm your human enabler. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. Our budget is $100. Don't do anything illegal. And right, that's the frame. And what's great is he's he's then publicly sharing all the steps and all the results. How is it possible that you and I don't start up our uh, our own uh, Luke and Christoph uh, side venture, involve the robot, and say we want to start a company that does good for the world, right? Some side side project and we want to get filthy rich doing it and (laughs) save the world and get filthy rich tell us what to do and then we we uh, drink our magic mind uh, every day and and how could we go wrong okay i like it all right let's go let's do it is this a podcast project we're gonna uh, use the podcast to talk about what like how our business (laughs) venture has developed all right all right is there one more one more uh insight uh, yeah, there's actually a bunch in there. Let's, uh, go go check out the thread, George underscore underscore Mac. Um, there's some stuff that's probably not investing related to do with testosterone and uh, people not being romantic with each other. But one I think does have an interesting investing link is don't ignore India. 2023 is the year India becomes the world's largest population. So it's the world's fastest growing large economy in 2022. Um In 2017, there were 357 million Indians online. There are now 840 million Indians online, 60% of the population. And here's the interesting bit. In 2021, India exported more in software than Saudi Arabia did in oil, Um, basically exporting like software services, um, generating $133 billion for the country versus... 113 billion dollars in oil exports from saudi that's quite interesting i i I don't have any investments in india myself but it's certainly a market we should start turning our eyes to perhaps absolutely here's another tip for our listeners i've i've been hearing about this uh now for over a year maybe two years because i follow quite closely the uh thinker balaji srinivasan i believe his last name is he has uh he's a polymath You'll hear interviews with him last four hours and longer, which was uh, they're real fun for the treadmill if you if you're into that kind of thing. And uh, he's one of those I think global geopolitical thinkers that ties tech trends with what's happening in the world at large. That when you listen to him, uh, it's almost like being fed through, you know, water through a fire hose kind of situation. He's been talking about India as the obvious emergent power of the world now for several years. And I believe his main point, you, you alluded to, Luke, it's not just that population-wise they're getting to the top, but it, that all of these people that are, uh, I believe he says they are now f- coming online. Yeah. So it's one of these shifts in the economy that's not just about the demographic, but demographic of people who are in a culture that is tech-minded, internet connected and they're all of a sudden like in a tidal wave coming online and i believe india is doing the right things to support this kind of infrastructure that's what's going to make india the the powerhouse as opposed to say some other highly populated country that has 
say the opposite kind of like uh, you you would say China right is has a inhibitive firewall like you can't do X Y and Z whereas India is saying no here's money to do X Y and Z yeah t- totally agree um, and I guess also the, so they've got these demographic completely different demographic issues like China has now a declining population and a demographic time bomb about to go off over the next decade whereas India has a huge number of young people and they're going through this population explosion. Um, and as you say, at the same time, it really is a culture that's got sort of education and success at its core. You know, if there are a ton of very smart kids in India. I'm actually a, a, a person of Indian origin myself. Uh, my grandmother was um, half Bangalorean and I spent like some time out there uh, with work for working for HSBC. But I spent like a few months in a few different Indian cities. It's an incredible place with just a ton of energy and a ton of very smart folk. So, yeah, definitely need to start looking at this through an investing lens, I think. Yeah, and I would love... You're much more skillful at looking at international companies. You've made several investments like that for us at 7, uh, 7i, right? Yeah. I, I Homework assignment-wise, I would love to see what you would come up with from uh, starting at the very tippity-top, like taking this as a lead, India, right? How do you say narrow down that that impossibly large initial query to say 10 companies that are worth poking around at is that something you that, that would interest you uh having seen this stat it's something i plan to do over the next couple of months i think it is complex because when you don't live in one of these markets and you're not immersed in the culture and you don't speak you know any of the hundreds of dialects and languages um there can be things that are opaque and it's hard for a kind of outsider to understand. And, you know, for all of, for all of the fantastic things about India, it's actually pretty low on the kind of corruption index. You know, they do have a lot of social issues. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know an easy example, but we think about like Luckin Coffee in China, right? Whether it was just like a complete fraud of a business and um, it took, like an outside investor to really spot that. And then the company came collapsing down. I'm sure there's a bunch of fantastic businesses, but also a bunch of really quite dubious businesses in India. And so I suppose what I'm saying is you have to have that bit of filter perhaps as well. Maybe, you know, try and use your Twitter network. I've got a bunch of Indian friends at home back in London, Mm -hmm. you know, try and use people, you know, to evaluate and understand whether, whether these companies actually add up and do they make sense. I would love to follow you on this journey and if in and to hear what you might have to share with us the process just just what you were describing right we have a lead you have some connections you have some some uh, limited experience in the country but but with all these other tools it seems like you are like a prime example of someone who could probably find a few gems uh, I'd love to I'd love to keep up to date with with how you go about that yeah i'll uh i'll be digging into it actually i do have a link so um i got interviewed about a year and a half ago by a um another sort of investing community indians invest globally so i'm going to use this as a mm. a uh, opportunity to go reach out to the guys i chatted to there some really smart guys who've built quite a big investing community chatting about exactly this topic try and get some of their top tips 
Oh yeah, fantastic. Yep. So, uh, so pretty, pretty long, all over the place conversation as ever. We're coming up to an hour of recording time. Yeah. We skipped it last week. So you're up for a game of the three conversations game before we close this week. Yes, as long as I'm not the one asking questions. <laughs> you can answer. You can answer. It was, it was my turn. I do have a couple of questions for you. Let's see. So, uh, quick reminder, if you're tuning in episode 14, I'm going to pitch three conversation topics to Christoph. He's going to put a line through one of them, and then I'm going to pick one of the other two, and then he's going to give us a minute of wisdom on that topic, and he has no idea what I'm going to ask him. Um I did start writing these for episode 13. So my first one is 13 related. Um, conversation one. Some cultures are strongly superstitious. For example, the Western number 13, the Chinese number four. Does it make sense for hotels and offices to skip those numbers when they build their buildings? Uh, question number two. Which of the seven deadly sins is most dangerous to an investor? And I can remind you what they are. Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Um, and then question number three is, you're a very well-read chap and that huge bookshelf behind you. Which book do you wish you could live in? Let's say, obviously, a work of fiction. Which work of fiction do you wish you could live in that world? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, what a great question. My mind's exploding because I, 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 that's the one I want to answer, but then I'll stumble all over myself. Uh, let's, uh, let's nix the, uh, let's nix the superstition question. Okay. All right. I kind of, I kind of want to ask you about the deadly sins, but go on. You, you want to talk about books. So I'm going to give you that, that bit of rope. Tell me about which book you're going to live in. Oh, this is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it, Luke. Uh, <laughs> Christoph, if you're not on the if you're not on the video, Christoph's now staring at his bookshelf, <laughs> trying to spot a world he, he can occupy. Maybe look at the whiskey first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the trouble of being too widely read. This is impossible. This is this is <laughs> maddeningly impossible. In part because so many books are horrible. You know, I mean, the things that happen in them are, are, they're fun to read about, but you, you don't want to live in that world. Looks like the answer might be one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Have I defeated you with a question that's too close you to have, your heart? You have to, wow, you defeated me. <laughs> I can't even give you an honest answer. You know what we're going to do? So I'll acknowledge defeat. I'll, I'll, I'll pay the consequences, but I'll get you an answer next time okay. we talk. Okay. When I've had two weeks to really t think about it. All right. I can give you a very short answer to the question you wanted to ask, because that's obvious to me. Go on then. Go on then. Uh, I'll give you a pass. Yeah. The, se the seven sins, uh, the sin that is most deadly to an investor is pride. Very good. Yeah. They're all right, pretty for bad. For obvious but, reasons, yeah. maybe. Hubris. I've, I've think... definitely got some, some hubris from being a bit prideful at the peak of my portfolio spiking in 2021 got a bit uh -huh. big for my boots yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh i mean uh, that's why it's the thing that brings down all the ancient uh heroes in all the stories there you go right we okay. you play and it's always pride that brings them okay. down luke it was a real pleasure catching up with you i hope you have an amazing last day on on the bunny slope 
<laughs> you can do it you can do it <laughs> just point your skis you know uh, like you that <laughs> safe travels home and next time we talk right you'll be back uh back eating crumpets and and uh yep crumpets and drinking tea correct you got it yep looking forward to it <laughs> fabulous great chatting to you christoph all right take care Take it easy, buddy. And if you enjoyed today's episode of No Limit with Christoph and Luke, give us a follow on Twitter and maybe share the episode with a friend. Until next time.